Last week, we, I, I launched this. I, I spoke about that, that this is what we mean by presence. It's encounters, it's intimacy, it's abiding, it's, it's worship, it's connecting, it's fellowship, it's spirit to spirit. It's all of those things. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the full list of everything Holy Spirit is. Everything that He is, is includes the presence that we can actually commune and engage and experience the presence of God. It's not just logos and text. It's not just words. It's encounters. It's presence. Wow. So we spoke about that Jesus taught and did miracles and he set the disciples up to say, guys, I'm tagging you to bring heaven to earth. And part of it, part of the requirement is that you need to be filled and clothed with power. You need the indwelling presence of the Lord. You need the indwelling presence of the Godhead to be poured into you, which remains in you. I'm around you and for you now, but it's better that I go so that the presence can be inside you and abiding and become one with you so that you, a human, can be redeemed and connected to the one, the God creator of all, and that you actually become one with the creator, that you would become one with God. That is the goal. And it's better that I go. So he said that he taught it. They didn't get it. And then he, he warned them after the resurrection and before the ascension. He said, guys, it's in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. He says, I'm commanding you guys. I'm warning you guys that the promise is coming. And please don't leave Jerusalem because this whole thing's about to get real. Heaven's going to start coming to earth. You're about to see some stuff that you were dreaming of a few years ago. You're actually going to start to do it in ways that is going to blow your mind. And, and he said, don't leave Jerusalem until the presence comes. And then not many days from now, um, he said it'll come. And then Acts chapter 2, presence falls. Boom. And what, what happened on that day? It said there was a roar, uh, like a mighty rushing wind, like a roaring windstorm. The sound of heaven came and it filled the house. Then fire, clothing tongues of fire came and settled on each of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages. And the Bible says that those um, languages that they were speaking, people from the surrounding villages came and ran to the church where the presence was poured out on the 120 believers. So the people outside the church, when the supernatural encounter was happening, they ran to the church because they'd never seen anything like it. Wow. Really cool. Peter got up and explained it because it was wild. They were accused of being drunk. There was such encounters with the Lord that, that, that it was just mayhem. It was wild. People were intoxicated in the presence. We see it today. People fall over. People experience the, the fire of God on them. It's similar. It's similar what it is now than it is then. Like people have these, these experiences that aren't earthly. Like we think of God and the power that one word contains of let there be light and light shoots across the cosmos at um, the speed of sound, the speed of light and just starts creating, man, the power that he contains, man, when he starts pouring out on people, what, what do we expect? That we just nod and go, mm, that was nice. <laughs> like seriously, like there's going to be moments where we can't contain it. The, the apostle John, when he saw Jesus with the fire in his eyes and the hair white as snow and the bronze feet in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, and John fell down as though dead in the glory of the Lord. So we spoke about the presence and the outpouring and then how Peter got up and explained it. He had to pastor the situation because it was wild. 
It was wild. He had to explain it. He said, guys, this is that which Joel prophesied. Okay, I get that it's weird. I get that it's crazy. I get that you think all these people are drunk, but no, they are intoxicated by the presence of God and he is doing a new thing and the world is never going to be the same. And he explained the history of God, the crucifixion of Jesus. And then they said, oh my goodness, our hearts are pierced. What must we do? And he says, it's simple. You've got to repent and you've got to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So he said, guys, we've got to change the way that we think. If you're going to embrace this new move of God, if you're actually going to believe that we can raise the dead and cleanse, the, cleanse cancer and cast out demons and heal the sick, if you actually believe that we can do heaven on earth and live emotionally, mentally healthy and whole lives that are attractive to all of our friends, if we're going to live lives of influence, of gaining influence in all levels of society, if we're going to actually live lives of presence and abiding and, and having his power run through us and transform us, then man, we've got to actually change the way that we think about this whole deal and go on a journey and think like God, which is repentance. It's a 180. There's remorse in there, of course, because we see the way that we look and we see the way that God looks and there's a gap. So the remorse is acknowledging the gap, but the kindness kicks in from God when the remorse kicks in and he goes, hey, my kindness is going to help you change the way that you think. Romans 2.4. My kindness is going to lead you into changing the way that you think so that you can actually become the person that can handle the dream. He, he is encouraging us and transforming us so that we all become the people that can handle the dream. What's the dream? The dream of God is that we would all connect with him, say yes to him, and then do the will of God, prove the will of God in signs, wonders and miracles, in influence, in living healthy and whole lives, so that the world encounters his love. Amen? I spoke a little bit last week about adjusting, about the repentance process, how repentance isn't I'm sorry, but it's going on a journey of having our mind renewed so that we can develop a new wineskin. People are often confused when Jesus said, you can't pour new wine into old wineskin. What did he mean by that? It's a belief system. It's a new way of thinking. And it's, this is pretty much what happened. Peter gets up and says, hey guys, this is that. And you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind so that you can understand that this was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to get a new wineskin so the new wine can be poured out. And if we don't go on the journey to adjust, to allow change, to allow to embrace the things of God in perhaps different ways and outside of our comfort zone, then we're going to miss out on what God is going to do. And instead of embracing, we build walls to protect ourselves. And I want to look at John the Baptist and I want to look at me, two amazing men of God. Um, I don't know why I laugh then, because I am amazing. Um, but two men of God that both were offended. John the Baptist is a Bible character and I am someone that you know personally. So I want to look at both of these situations, if that's okay. And we're going to talk about around the presence of God and how offense can kick in, especially when God wants to move outside of what we're expecting, which was the Pharisees. They went offensively against Jesus because he came in a way that was outside of their grid. He came in a manger and they thought he was going to come in robes and a kingship and develop a kingdom. Um, but it was just done in a different way. Like all the miracles of Jesus, he never did the same miracle twice. Why? Because he's messing people up. It's not a formula. 
It's this organic keeping in step with the Lord and knowing his character and nature kind of deal. So we're going to just, we've looked at the presence and the Pentecost day, which is Acts 2, but let's rewind, rewind back to the beginning of the Gospels. So we've had Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, um, and then we've had 400 years of silence in the church. Can't talk about that now with time, but that's a massive deal. 400 years, 10 generations of nothing from Christianity. And what happens? John the Baptist appears in the wilderness. And this is what the Bible says about John the Baptist. John 1, 6-9. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Verse 8, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Verse 9, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John's role was to prepare the way of the Lord. Actually, Isaiah prophesied that the one would come and make, make way the paths. Make way the paths. Straighten it out. Level it out and prepare it. Prepare the way of the Lord. So this is what he was doing. He was preaching. And he was announcing that the kingdom is within reach. And then we've got this fascinating scripture where John the Baptist lays eyes on the Messiah. John 1, 29 to 30. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. So John's baptizing, baptizing and he spots Jesus and, he, and he's walking towards him. And this is what John the Baptist says. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a, an amazing, wild, bold statement. But there was something that happened. God appointed John to bear witness to the one that would come, who was mightier than he. And then there was a day where he saw him and he said, wow, something happened. A supernatural experience happened. And he said, wow, behold, the son of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So we've got this whole process of John the Baptist introducing Jesus. John the Baptist was sent to announce, to confirm, and to introduce Jesus, the Messiah, and to fulfill all the prophecies of Isaiah, all the, the talk about, the rumors, the how's it going to happen? How's the Messiah, the chosen one, the redeemer of all? How's it all going to happen? And John the Baptist had the privilege of confirming this is him. This is the one. This is the Messiah. Behold, here he is. What a privilege that was for John the Baptist. So that was his role. It was John affirming that Jesus was the Messiah. John the Baptist was defending that Jesus was the Messiah. People would come to him and say, no, 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 this can't be him. Rabbis and teachers of the law would come to John the Baptist and have a crack at him and, and scoff at him and mock him. And he would say, hey, guys, this is true. This is real. I've been sent to announce. And he said, and he said that um, in John uh, chapter 3, verse 30, he said, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. And that's got nothing to do with our value. That's got nothing to do with us just being quiet. The whole context of this is that he was the forerunner and the, the trumpet, so to speak, to announce the day 
of the Messiah and Jesus coming to teach and equip and do ministry and to reveal the Father. And then he dipped back and allowed Jesus to take the baton and do it. And Jesus did the same thing to us. So I just love that John was the forerunner. So John the Baptist was appointed to be the one that would announce, welcome and confirm that Jesus was the one that they'd been waiting for. But then, so John the Baptist dipped back and allowed Jesus to uh, continue. And we've got this fascinating passage of scripture in Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to get straight into it. Verse 18. The disciples, so just before this, miracles are breaking out everywhere. Jesus is teaching, miracles are happening, crowds are spreading, it is all happening. Religious leaders are angry, but Jesus is raising the dead. He's doing all the stuff that he's saying and it's wild. And then John the Baptist says this. So at this point in time, I believe John the Baptist is in prison and he is sending his disciples, because John the Baptist had disciples, he sent his disciples to get a report about Jesus. So you ready for this? The disciples of John reported to him about all of these things because uh, uh, someone was just raised from the dead. So verse 19 says, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord. So John sent two of his disciples to Jesus saying this, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Verse 20. When the men came to him, they said to Jesus, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Check out this, verse 21. Jesus answers, uh, sorry, at that very time, he cured many people of disease and afflictions and evil spirits and he gave sight to many who were blind. So I can see it like this. John the Baptist is in prison. A whole lot of stuff's happening inside John the Baptist. He sends two of his disciples to Jesus and he says, ask this guy if he is the one or if we're meant to expect anyone else. So they come to Jesus. Jesus, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask you, are you the one or should we expect someone else? So Jesus then goes, hmm, pause, miracle, 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 cleansing, 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 cast out demons, da, 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 healing, healing, healing. And then, he, and then he answers them, go and report. So he not only answered, but he demonstrated before he answered, this is full on. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. He demonstrated. He didn't just tell them, no, no, I am. He, he just did miracles for maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. Who knows how long it was? But he definitely did not answer the question. He definitely started to perform miracles and then he answered their question. Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Come on. And this last verse is what we're gonna to hit today. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Wow. I love that he said, go and report. This is what, what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's like the job description of the believer. If those things are happening, then yes, you can trust 
that I am who I said that I am. It's my heart with my friends. If this list is happening, then they can go, yep, I believe you. But if none of those things are happening, they've got every right to question what I believe and who I am. I love that Jesus sort of set this up and he's almost saying, well, this is all happening. So you can go and tell John because this is the requirements of the believer. This is the mandate, the commission to do all of these things, to announce the gospel of the kingdom, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, cast out demons. Wow, it's so good. It's so exciting. But what a staggering situation. What a staggering situation. For, uh, rewind, John the Baptist, I've come to, to be a to forerunner, to prepare the way for the Messiah. Here he is, everyone. I'm announcing to everybody, here's Jesus. This guy that's walking here, he's the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. I, can, I confirm him. I, I, I'm embracing it. I'm announcing it. This is him. He's got to become greater and I've got to become less. And then all this stuff happens. Jesus starts doing miracles and it's no longer John the Baptist show anymore. John gets put in prison and all some insecurities and fears and internal stuff start to kick up and he starts getting offended. And he sends two of his disciples to Jesus, who he confirmed as the Messiah, to ask him if he was the Messiah. Is this insane? John the Baptist confirms Jesus as the Messiah to everybody and then publicly sends people to question if he's really the one or should we expect someone else. This is phenomenal. And this is, one of the, this is the verse I want to look at today in my remaining 10 or so minutes. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. I love what Bill says, like um, often God will offend the mind to reveal the heart. There's so many opportunities every single day to be offended. And I love what Todd White says. He says offense is a choice. It's full on. Offense is a choice. It's actually possible to be within a fresh move of God where God is breaking out and doing different things and answering the prayer of more that we actually prayed. And he's speaking in different ways and doing different things and communicating through different methods. It's still possible to even be within that and get offended. John was the guy that God chose to bring Jesus in. And then he doubted. He got offended. He believed some lies, which resulted in a big, I'm not sure. When we don't deal with our inner world, when we don't deal with our mental and emotional health, when we don't uh, deal with the health of our soul, and we only worry about praying and worshipping only, and we never address the emotions and the triggers and the memories and the experience that we've had in our past around God and presence and Bible and outpourings and, and hurt and wounds and adjusting and temperaments and personalities and all of that clashing, man, all of that just clashes and the, the dream in our heart and the, the, the risk required and letting people in to help us and some people hurting us and us not forgiving and us building walls up and we go through this whole thing and you, it, it is easy to get offended, but just because it's easy to get offended, it doesn't make it right, it doesn't make it okay. It's easy to get offended when we don't allow anyone in. It's easy to get offended when we choose to block off and shun and build a wall. Offense is inevitable if we choose that life of not allowing anyone in, of not embracing humility. Humility 
um, is a great blocker to offence. That's a good word. So I'd love to share a story about myself. Because it happened to John, but it also happened to me. Um, around 2010, my life blew up and I, was, I got to a point where I had to deal with my inner world because I never did, ever. Um, never, ever, ever did I steward my um, soul, um, my emotions, my inner world, the part that no one sees. I didn't, that's our whole health message. Our inner world, the part that no one sees, the hidden part of us, um, the part that we process life. The, um, you can read it in our communication model, all around health. I never dealt with any of it ever. And if we never deal with that, then we, cannot, we can't actually sustain heaven to earth. We can't sustain revival. We can't sustain health and wholeness. We're never going to be um, living in hope, joy, and peace. It's always going to be a roller coaster if we never allow God into our inner world to go through it. That's why the proverb said, protect your heart above all else because out of it flows everything. And, and I never did that, so my life blew up. So if, you, if we don't deal with our inner world and inner health and our soul, if we just think it's always about soaking in prayer, man, we're kidding ourselves. It's a combination. By the Spirit, we put to death um, the deeds of the body, the things that we might have developed brain tracks about. We might have believed lies and had really bad experiences and think that it's true. And we just develop a way of thinking and then patterns of behavior. It's by the spirit we put to death those things. It's by the renewing of our mind. It's the finished work of the cross, the spiritual. That is all real. It's done. It's finished. But there is a process. There's a tension of working out the finished work of the cross, which is in our account. And the goal of the renewed mind is to work it through by the transformation forming of the renewing of our mind which is all about our soul becoming a, um, submitted to our spirit the spirit's got to be the leader the soul cannot lead the soul cannot lead it's the spirit that leads and if we don't get that in correct order we will always wonder why we're struggling wonder why we're bitter wonder why we're offended wonder why we're questioning and wonder why like john the baptist i'm just not sure and I found myself in that situation. I was hungry for God. I'd start to be, um, I was starting to get exposed. I mean, Mike was doing teaching on healing, um, about new creation, about believing. And then there was testimonies coming out of this place called Bethel that I'd never heard before. Um, miracles, signs, wonders. And it started to be attractive to me. And I'd always had this in my life that I wanted to see God heal people through my shadow. I'd read that scripture and it was in the Bible and I loved the Bible and I thought it was true that Peter's shadow healed people. So what about me? So I went on this journey to just um, to believe it. But then all the stuff happened with me not managing my life and I just blew up. But then there was a point in time where I was forced to get healthy. Like I had to get healthy. So I went and got healthy and marriage got restored and I got restored. And then we went over to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry because we'd heard the testimonies and I had to be in that place for a consistent period of time to really embrace the culture and become transformed by the renewing of my mind. I had to witness it. I had to taste it. I had to see it. I had to touch it. I had to be stretched. I had to take risks. And man, it changed everything. We saw blind eyes open, deaf ears pop open. Um, God transformed us, rocked us, wrecked us, ruined us. And it changed everything. 
But there was a moment in school where Seth Dahl got up to preach and it was early on. It was about a month into school and I was hungry for God. I wanted it all. Worship, presence, prayer, miracles. I wanted it all. But this day, Seth Dahl was preaching. We didn't know him. We've had him come to preach in our church. Well, he went, he started preaching and it was amazing, revelatory teaching on Gideon. But towards the end of the meeting, Lee felt God say to her, go down the front and kneel. And she wasn't causing a ruckus. She just went down, didn't want to um, upset anyone, but just knelt to the side. And what happened was we didn't realize it was a catalyst for God to blow the room up. Um, so one, another student went forward, another student went forward, another student. And I'm just going, wow, this is intense. So then Seth, Seth started to get a bit rocked by God um, where the presence of God started touching him. Students started to get absolutely ruined um, and praying for each other and falling out and laughing. And no joke, I'm sitting like 20 rows back and I'm watching a thousand people like the book of Acts. Like I'm like, these men are drunk um, and I'm offended. And I can just imagine like Peter getting up and saying to me, these men are not drunk as you suppose. They are drunk. They're intoxicated in the presence. God's touching them in such a way that it's taking over their natural ability to, to manage their body. Um, and they're being so engulfed in the presence and he's touching them and doing a deep work in them. And, and I'm just sitting there going, this isn't God. Is it God? I'm not sure. No, it's not God. I'm uncomfortable. And I felt sick in my stomach. And I wanted to run away. People are praying for me and I'm like, get off me. I hate this. And I was like, I wasn't just, oh, good on you guys. This is nice. I, was, I became like, not offensive, but I became on the offense, like anti it, like stop. You're annoying me. I want to leave. And it was, it was a challenge. It was like for 45 minutes and I'm like super upset. And, and I've still got the email that I sent my revival group pastor, Leslie Crandall, and I want to read it to you. Okay, I wrote to her, hey, hey, are we able to get together? This is Wednesday, September 25th, 2012. Hey, hey, are we able to get together sometime next week? I struggled a lot with the whole getting drunk thing and I just wanted to leave. The prophetic words were amazing and Seth's word was incredible, but he was preaching about getting drunk as if <laughs> there is no option but to. And then it blew up and I felt like crap because nothing happens to me. So yeah, I'm a little confused. A mixed day. Love to chat, Justin. So that's just me being real. That was my experience um, nine years ago. And then Leslie messaged, uh, emailed me. Thursday, September 27th, 2012. Justin, I'm so sorry that you were not able to be yourself today in that environment. A lot of it is terminology, which I agree with. It's not a requirement to be drunk in the spirit, but filled however it is, which is amazing. How that manifests is different for different people. So please understand that no one expects you to manifest in that way. That would not be genuine or from the spirit. Does that make sense? Yes, we can talk about this next week as well, but please be free from any confusion today that today might have caused you. Much love and grace. Have a great time at the ball game with your wife. We went to a Lakers game, so good. So what we're gonna do right now is we're actually gonna to go to a clip of Leslie Crandall, my revival group pastor, who I emailed and who emailed me back and encouraged me and helped me. And then for the rest of that year at Bethel, really encouraged me around um, the presence of God and encountering him. We're gonna watch a clip from her 
um, of her recollection of this story of me emailing, and then she's going to encourage us around the presence of the Lord. So, yeah, let's watch this clip. Welcome, church. Good morning. How are you guys doing? My name is Leslie Crandall. I'm out here in Redding, California at Bethel Church. Uh, many of you guys know that your pastors, Justin and Lee, uh, spent a year of school ministry with us at BSSM and I actually had the privilege of being their pastor that year and I could not be more proud of how Justin and Lee have taken transformation in the kingdom and intimacy with God and just run with it with all their hearts even in the good and the bad and the sometimes crazy uh, they have just stayed faithful. I'm so proud of Justin and Lee and the leadership on their life. You guys are headed for crazy breakthrough and I am so privileged I get to share for, for just a few minutes with you guys this morning uh, all the way in sunny California. Um, hopefully I get one day to visit Australia. I've never been but we'll, we'll work on that one day. So. I wanted to share, Justin asked if I would recall um, one of the times that he came for some input because he had been offended by the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever been offended by revival and the Lord moving in power? Well, um, it wasn't Lee, of course, it was Justin, but we'll just put it there. Uh, so Justin emailed me ferociously, it felt like, um, and I love that kind of stuff because I love to talk about what is real and authentic. And so he requested to meet with me because he had some concerns about the drunkenness of the Holy Spirit that uh, one of our pastors, Seth Dahl, who I know you guys love and our friend and friend of the house now, but he, Justin had been, something had been stirred and offended in him. And the Lord, he is so kind. He is so good. He loves to just create opportunities for us to be more near to him and uh, so that's what offense is it's just an invitation for his nearness and so I, I met with Justin and emailed him back and and uh, or I emailed him back and, and then we talked in person as well and I think the the thing that that I love about Justin is that he was willing to actually address what was going on inside of him and the questions he had of leadership and of the Lord and, and how he was moving and what had triggered that insecurity or questions inside of him. So I love that and I just want to encourage you guys that that is great leadership is just willing to say I don't have the answers but I'm going to lean in, I'm going to press in and in his offense he was ready to talk about it and I just, um, obviously it was many years ago but I do remember just saying it's okay because it's just a revealer of the level of trust people have in who God is. And uh, for me, when we get offended how the Holy Spirit either moves in a service or outside the service or outside our boxes or how the Lord moves in, in other people differently than you, it's just really an invitation again to know His heart for you personally. And it is also kind of a lamp to reveal the level of trust that we have and who he is and how he operates. And so I just want to encourage you today, like Jesus said to Peter in John 21, when, when he was talking about his death and he turns to the disciple John and he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus says to Peter, what is it to you what I do with him? You come follow me. And that is the word I want to leave you with today that as, um, the Holy Spirit is moving and breaking out in fresh ways. The offense wouldn't be the barrier, a fence, offense, a barrier to keep you from all that God has for you, but that you would trust that He's leading you into something new, even when we don't understand 
that he's a good father and he's gonna lead us through him and knowing him more. So I love you guys, God bless you. I hope you have a breakthrough day today. So I was on a journey. I was on a journey of hunger and I wanted it all. I wanted to see miracles. I wanted to experience his presence. I wanted my shadow to heal people. I wanted it all. I prayed the prayer, God, whatever it takes, whatever it looks like. But there was a part of me that still had to control it. I still had to protect myself. God was moving in a way and I was saying, God, move, but only according to what I'm comfortable with. And there was a large battle going on within me. And I, and, I, and I had to seek the Lord. I had to allow Him to touch my heart. I had to allow Him to show me the scriptures, um, to open it up, to really go, th go on a, a journey with Him, to, to have a dialogue with Him, to open up my heart, to actually out loud say, God, I'm uncomfortable. I want you. Like to, I, I'm not, a lot of us don't actually pray, but I would encourage us to actually talk to God like this, to actually say, God, today freaked me out. And to invite people in, invite your friend over. Hey, today freaked me out. When Steve Backlund came and Nolene fell off the chair laughing and Judy was wild running around praying for people and Brett was getting people in headlocks and praying and, and it was just blowing up and everyone's happy. And, and it's amazing that we can be in a room and 40 people are the, are the happiest they've ever been in their life and God's touching them and deep stuff's happening and, and we can be offended and, and think it's not God. But I would encourage you, go on a journey. It doesn't have to look like this for you, but make no mistake, this stuff is gonna happen and continue the more we press in for God to move. That might not be the way that God touches you, but we need to go on a journey so that we're okay with how He touches us but also how he touches them. Because he, he, it's probable that he's going to touch people in ways that you don't understand or aren't comfortable with. So I'd love to just encourage us all just to, to clothe ourselves with humility, to acknowledge the book of Acts and that Peter got up and said, guys, we're going to have to adjust. We're going to have to have hunger and humility at its core when we repent and change the way that we think. But understand, I went through this journey. I was totally offended. The, the day with Seth was so wild. It was so wild. And I look back at it now and I'm like, oh man, it wasn't actually that wild. The Steve Backlund Saturday and Tuesday night was pretty, I reckon it was wilder. But the Lord's been teaching me over the journey that he's gonna move in different ways. He's God and I'm not. And, and he knows what we all need. And, and he honors our prayer for more but he loves answering prayers in the way that we need them because he's God and he knows us so well. So my prayer is for us as a church that we would continually believe the best in each other and that we would continually position ourselves to be hungry and humble before the Lord and to go on a journey with him to become okay when he moves outside of our grid. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. Amen.